Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 this morning. Sometime back in our Wabash Valley Christian Institute, which we host here often in the spring and in the fall, uh, back before Brother Philip Young passed away, Phil would always have handouts for the guys. Always something for them to read and to think about and learn about. And as a lot of the guys had come to the Institute are preachers, one time he handed out, uh, I don't know how many papers it was, of his all-time favorite illustrations, sermon illustrations. And they're good. I mean, they, they're just, they're powerful, and I like to Preachers come across things that they like and that are some of their favorites. And sometimes preachers use them more than once. And so today I want to start with a story, a little illustration that I think I've used here before. And if you've heard it, listen again. All right? <laughs> here it is. On February the 19th of 1519, the great Spanish explorer Cortez set sail for Mexico with an entourage of 11 ships, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. They were on their way to Mexico to try to establish some type of settlement there. Now, the indigenous population of Mexico at that time was approximately, they believe, 5 million people. So from a purely mathematical standpoint, the odds were stacked against him by a ratio of 7,541 to 1. Wow. Two previous expeditions had failed to establish any kind of a settlement in the New World, and yet Cortez wound up conquering much of South America with that few people. What he is reported to have done after landing on that third trip is a tale of almost mythical proportions. Once they'd gone ashore, he issued an order that turned his mission into an all-or-nothing proposition. When they got on shore, he then said, burn the ships. All 11, burn the ships. So you get the picture. They've just traveled all the way across the ocean. They've made it to land. And as soon as they get on dry land, he says, burn all those ships. Now, some historians have questioned that detail. They've suggested that he didn't say burn the ships. But what he really said was sink the ships or, or scuttle the ships and I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but regardless of whether he burned them or blew holes in them, isn't the result the same? I mean, the ship sank. And here are all these soldiers and these people watching all these ships sink into the harbor, and they quickly come to term with the fact that there's no way of going back. Turning back at this point is not an option. And I think we see a little bit of that as we come to this story in the Bible this morning, talking about famous people of the Bible. In 1 Kings 19, you remember the fearless prophet Elijah. Some have called him the prophet of fire, because you remember on Mount Carmel he battled the false prophets of Baal, and when the fire of God fell upon his, his sacrifice and consumed it and the altar and the water he had poured on it and all of that, well, the people claimed what? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It was miraculous victory for the people of God. 
But just after that miraculous victory, Elijah fled for his life out into the wilderness based upon the threat of one woman. Now, she wasn't just some ordinary run-of-the-mill woman. She happened to be the wife of the king, and her name was Jezebel. How many of you have any children by that name? Yeah, nobody's got that as a middle name or anything, right? No, because of this woman. She was the wife of King Ahab. So Elijah fled from her, went out into the wilderness, and sat underneath what the Bible says was a broom tree. I don't know what that looked like, but he sat there and he begged God to take his life. Just take my life, God. I am the only faithful one you've got left. I'm the only one, God. And God told Elijah, no, you're not the only one left. In fact... I have reserved 7,000 faithful followers who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And Elijah didn't realize that. So then God gave Elijah some orders. Go back home, and I want you to anoint two kings. I want you to anoint Hazael, king over Syria, and Jehu, king over Israel. And then God told him to go find a man by the name of Elisha and anoint him as the prophet that would take his place. Mark Batterson, in a book he wrote, said, and I quote, It doesn't matter if you're trying to lose weight, get into graduate school, write a book, start a business, or get out of debt. The first step's always the longest and the hardest. And you can't just take a step forward into the future. You also have to eliminate the possibility of going backward into the past. That's how you go after goals. That's how you break addictions. That's how you reconcile relationships. You leave the past in the past by burning the ships. End of quote. And I think in our text today, we see Elisha do that type of thing. Now, he didn't burn any ships, but he comes close because... He burned something else. In 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 19, it says, So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plying with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. So notice the call of Elisha here. Elisha is called. When Elijah found Elisha, what's he doing? Well, he's plowing out in the field. In other words, he, he's not sitting around. He's working. Some people say, I wish God would call me to do something. And until he does, I'm, I guess I'll just stand here and wait. No, you don't stand around and wait and do nothing. You work. You're active. You do something. God doesn't call people that just wait around. God calls people that are willing to work, willing to be active. And Elijah saw Elisha working. Plowing with the oxen, 12 yoke of oxen, which probably indicates there are 11 pair of oxen up ahead of him, and he with the 12th pair. And by the way, the name Elisha means God is salvation. 
My God is salvation. So Elijah sees Elisha, walks up to him, sees him plowing with his yoke of oxen, and puts his mantle, his cloak, around Elisha's shoulders, and then just keeps walking. Just keeps walking away. Well, Elisha knew immediately what had happened. He knew what that symbolized. He, he knew that he left the oxen, he left the plowing equipment, he ran after Elijah. And when he catches up to Elijah, he says, can I go back and say farewell to my family? Now, in our culture today, being so far removed from an event like this, we, we kind of say, what's going on here? Well, any time a prophet would place a cloak on someone's shoulders, that would symbolize the passing of their power and the authority and the office of that individual to the next person, to the person they put that cloak on. So Elijah was saying to Elisha, God has called you to take my place. That's what it meant. So Elisha says, well, first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Elijah says to him, do as you please, or literally, what have I done to stop you? Go ahead. So notice the commitment here, a total commitment in verse 21. Elisha returns home with his oxen and his plowing equipment, the yoke and the, those things. He built a huge bonfire using the plowing equipment, and he barbecued his oxen. All right. No doubt he invited his family and his friends. They all came and enjoyed this last supper as Elisha shared his testimony of what Elijah had done and now where he was going. And everybody ate. Most family farms back then were very simple. A lot of you can remember when farming was much more simple than what it is now, right? And there were a lot of smaller farms when you would drive out in the countryside. You know, my grandpa had a hundred or hundred and some acre farm down in Lucan. You just don't find those little farms and guys farming that small of a piece of ground hardly anymore. But, but, but here's what's going on. He returned home with his oxen. He, he, he has this, this, this time with family and friends. He sacrificed it. He burned all the, all the equipment there. And the fact that he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen with those other 11 probably out in front of him would indicate that this was probably not a small farming operation. This was probably the exception rather than the rule here. Probably a family of considerable wealth. And don't miss this. When he burned the plowing equipment and he sacrificed the oxen, in that culture, he probably wasn't just quitting his job. He may well have been divesting himself from the share of the family estate probably writing himself out of the family will. You know, most of us are not like that, are we? We all kind of like to hedge our bets, don't we? We always like to have something to fall back on in case what we're doing right now doesn't work out. But not Elisha. Fully committed. No turning back. He had burned the ships. In this case, the yokes and the oxen. So he couldn't go back to his old way of life. He just burned it all up in a big bonfire. And again, don't miss this. As long as you leave yourself a way out or a way back, you'll never be fully committed to the Lord. Isn't that true? 
As long as you leave yourself a way out or a way back, you'll never be fully committed. You can always go back until you burn the ships, and you can't go back. But as long as you've got that way back and you hedge your, bet, your bets, you're just not fully committed. One author said burning the plowing equipment was handing in his resignation as CEO of Elisha Farms. And Elisha gave it up for an unpaid internship with an itinerant prophet named Elijah. In one day, he went from the very top of the totem pole to the very bottom. He went from calling the shots to making coffee and copies. As an intern, he got the jobs no one else wanted to do. But if you do the job no one wants, you might eventually get the job everybody wants. End of quote. So that's the call of Elisha. Now go over to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, and here we see the challenge. The time has come, God is about, is about to take Elijah up into heaven, and I think most of you probably remember that story, but you may not remember all the details, but in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 2, says, it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And so time after time here, Elijah tells Elisha, you stay here while I go here. And Elisha refused. He wouldn't have anything to do with that. He said, no, where you go, I'm going to go. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Be still. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So Elisha just refuses to leave Elijah. And it happens more than once. So then they come down to the Jordan River. The prophet and his protege, they're by themselves, and when they get to the Jordan, Elijah rolls up his cloak, and he strikes the water with it, and when he does, the waters of the Jordan part so they can walk across. So Elijah walks across, and Elisha is right there behind him, refusing to go anywhere except stay with Elijah. And so they get across to the other side, and Elijah finally turns to Elisha, and he says, what would you like for me to do for you before I go to heaven? I, wouldn't you have liked, loved to have been, <laughs> there were no walls there, but a fly on the wall. Wouldn't you love to have heard this conversation? Elijah's tone of voice. And I, I mean, it just, it, I, I'm, I just wonder, you know, how did this all come down? I mean, did they get across the Jordan and... Elijah said to Elisha, all right, all right, what is it? You won't stay anywhere I tell you to stay. You're following me like a little puppy. What is it you want? I don't know. 
But he said, ask me whatever it is you want before I go to heaven. And there's no indication that Elisha hesitates at all in what his request is. He doesn't hold back. He lays down a challenge. He says to Elijah, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. A double portion. You realize what he just asked for? A double portion. I want to be twice as effective as you are. I want twice of what you have upon me, a double portion of God's blessing on his life. How could he ask for something like that? I mean, what right did he have to make that kind of a request? Well, he was fully committed. Fully committed. And let me make a statement. I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but maybe you'll think it's true. That the reason that some of the prayers that you and I pray, the reason some of them have not been answered is because of the fact that you and I haven't been fully committed. Could that be true? And the reason that some of the dreams we've dreamed haven't come true is because we haven't been fully committed. And until we are fully committed, we've got no right to make such requests. But when we're fully committed, well, it's as natural as breathing. And that's what happened here with Elisha. What would it look like for you to be fully committed? Fully. Not 50%, not 75%, not 90%, but fully. Craig Groeschel wrote in a book, and I quote, Stop skipping church whenever you feel like it because you stayed up late the night before or there's a game on or you want to go to the lake or whatever reason you want to make up. Stop being a phony. Wholeheartedly devote your life to Christ. Stop just going to church and consuming. Get yourself and your family involved. Make a difference. Serve. Tithe. Give offerings. Pray. Engage in the life of the church. Grow spiritually. Stop pretending. Do something different. Act, end quote. And Mark Batterson that I quoted earlier, he said, the more money you make, the harder it is to trust Almighty God and the easier it is to trust the Almighty dollar. Isn't it ironic that in God we trust is printed on the very thing that we find it most difficult to trust God with? Let me be blunt, he says, because on the subject of money, Jesus was blunt. Obedience can be measured in dollars, so can faith, so can sacrifice. It's certainly not the only measure, but it's one of the most accurate. If we give God 2% of our income, can we really say we're 100% committed to Him? I think not. If we withhold the tithe, can we really say in God we trust? If we give God the leftovers instead of the first fruits, can we really say we're seeking first His kingdom? God doesn't need our money, but He wants our hearts. And where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Happiness is not the byproduct of making more money. Happiness is the byproduct of giving more money, no matter how much money we make. End quote. So don't miss this. Elisha didn't hold out on God, and so God didn't hold out on Elisha. You see, sometimes in life, what happens to Christians, people who claim to be followers of Christ is they just get back and return what they've given to God. 
And how can we expect to get more back than what we give? Why would you think God's going to bless you in a great way if you're not fully committed? You've heard the old phrase, double or nothing? Well, if you double nothing, it's still nothing. And when we give nothing to God, when he's not number one, when we're not fully committed, when we don't put him first, and yet we come and pray and say, oh God, please bless my marriage. Please bless my business. Please bless my kids. Please bless my future. And God says, but you're not fully committed. Does God only bless us to the extent that we're committed to him? Elisha was fully committed, and listen, God gave him a double portion. He answered his prayer. Notice the chariots in verse 11. It came about as they were going along and talking that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven, and Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there. And Elisha crossed over. And when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And for the next 60 years, Elisha literally lived under the spout where all God's blessings come out. And I believe that he did have a double portion of Elijah's spirit. What do I base that on? In the Bible, it records 14 miracles that Elijah performed. Anybody want to guess how many it lists of Elisha? 28. 28. Twice as many. One author said, and I quote, It's tough to rank the prophets, but if there were an ancient fantasy league in Israel, Elisha would be a first-round pick. By definition, every miracle is miraculous, but Elisha gets extra credit by parting the Jordan River, raising a boy from the dead, and making an iron axe head float. That's some serious fantasy points. <laughs> yeah. He was granted a double portion because he was fully committed, and God used him incredibly for 60 years. You see, folks, being fully committed isn't just about a month of the year. It's not about the whole year. That's where we miss it. Being fully committed, that, that's a lifetime endeavor. Elisha was fully committed. God used him every day of his life for 60 years until he died. Every day. Not some days. And I'm sure he had some days that were better than others. But you need to understand, every day was a day of double blessing. Every day, a day of double anointing. Because why? He was fully committed. God wants to use you too, right? Thank you, three people. 
The rest of you just going to sit around. God wants to use you, right? Yeah. But he can't and he won't until you're fully committed. You're just one decision away from a totally different life. That's it. One decision. Are we going to be fully committed to God? That's the choice. What's it going to be for you? Halfway is no way to live. Half-hearted won't even get you on the football team or the cheerleading squad. Half-hearted won't get you that promotion. It won't seal the deal on that important project. Half-hearted won't get you a better marriage. Half-hearted won't get you a better attitude. Half-hearted won't help you lose weight or get in shape. And we all know that. We know that. Why is it we think that half-hearted would ever work with God? It won't. But we could get His full blessing and not be fully committed. And here's what you need to know. God's not going to settle for some. God won't even settle for most. It's all or nothing with Him. He is either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And sadly, too many of us get comfortable with comfort. We follow Christ to the point of inconvenience, and then we stop, and that's when we need a prophet to walk into our lives and throw a mantle around our shoulders and wake us up to a new possibility, a new reality. We're going to sing a decision song here in just a few moments, and I'm not going to walk down the aisle and put a coat on your back, but God might. He might. You might feel his call on your life in some way. And if he does call you, if he does put a coat around your back, and if you decide from this day on, I will be fully committed, maybe you'd like to come up to the front and take your stand and tell your brothers and sisters in the Lord, I'm fully committed. From this day forward, God is put a call on my life. I have felt him put that coat on my shoulders and I'm fully committed. If God is doing that today, if you're going to respond to his call in some way, if you want to share that with brothers and sisters in the Lord, you can meet me down front as we stand and sing. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Let's stand.